Welcome back to another episode of One Championship Repeat Boston Sports Podcast. And on this week's episode, we're going to be discussing the first trade of the Red Sox offseason, first trade under Craig Breslow. Also, looking at some uh, offseason uh, news and where I personally think Breslow is going to focus all of his attention and time. I'm also going to be looking at the Patriots and the potential for a trade down. And I will be discussing um, the X factor that I believe is making the Boston Celtics as good of a team as as they can be. So um, let's get started with uh, some Red Sox. Um, we have ourselves a trade to announce. This is the first trade, um, at least, uh, that I can uh, talk about. Because that's all we got so far, uh, which is the Mariners making a trade uh, with the Red Sox. Luis Urias is going to the Mariners. Isaiah Campbell is going to Boston. So this is a one-for-one swap. Uh, Urias was brought in. um, He was uh, with Milwaukee, obviously. uh, Came to the Red Sox at the uh, trade deadline last year. Um, and was solid, but the Red Sox just had so many and have so many infielders with um, the future pipeline of players. It didn't really make sense for Urias at all, uh, even if he was someone who would be a good player. It just wasn't in the the cards for the Red Sox to keep him long term. And I think with Trevor Story and you know, the amount of other players that they have, he just was not needed. Now, Isaiah Campbell is needed for a variety of reasons, and the biggest being he is going to be in their bullpen. He was a uh, 2019 second-round pick from the Mariners, 28 in the third innings. Uh, he started in July, called up 2.83 ERA and 3.32 FIP, 27.5% strikeout rate, um, and this is someone who, uh, was pretty solid in double A, skipped triple A, went to the majors. Um, he's going to be a good bullpen piece, uh, for the Red Sox. Um, he has options, uh, remaining that will allow the club to shuttle him between triple A and the majors if they so choose. But I feel like, um, we need, uh, guys who are in the bullpen, and this is a good move. Uh, It's a first move of many to come. Now, what I believe is going to happen is Craig Breslow is going to be focusing most of this offseason on the pitching, and specifically starting pitching. Um, There is a ton of uh, pitchers out there. Aaron Nola just re-signed with the Phillies which that kind of shrinks the market slightly. But at the end of the day, uh, there are still a variety of names on the list of potential options. Whether that is getting Shohei Otani, who is not a pitcher this year, but will be um, in uh, the next year after, um, or uh, Yoshibiru uh, Yamamoto, who's the Japanese pitcher that's at the top of the list, we have uh, Blake Schnell, who is a very good pitcher. Um, we have uh, countless others, Sonny Gray, uh, Jordan Montgomery, um, and then there's some other sort of 
lesser tier guys, Lucas Giolito um, and others. So there's a bunch of different options in terms of guys out there in the free agency market. And there is a chance that the Red Sox could go out there and swap a few pitchers around, trade some guys or keep guys around uh, as bullpen pieces and end up with a pitching rotation that's totally different from what we have right now. And I think when a new general manager comes in, they always want to make their mark early. And after the way that uh, the Red Sox have been, I think uh, Breslow knows as well as the ownership knows they need to make something happen and fast. And so they're going to probably go out there and spend more money and do more than Greg Breslow uh, would have expected coming into this um, or even what Sharon Bloom was given an opportunity to do. And so my guess is Craig Breslow is going to have a little bit more of a free reign to do things. And to be honest with you, I think the Red Sox would rather be in a Dombrowski situation where they made it to the World Series and they gave up these prospects in exchange um, and lesser so in a spot where they were with Bloom, which was just minor league uh, bullpen guys and minor league prospects and building up your farm system. And so Breslow, I think, is going to have a little bit more of a leash uh, that is looser than what we saw from, uh, you know, Cheryl Bloom. And I think, you know, someone with this experience as an actual baseball player, um, that's really going to help. And so I think the pitching is going to be his sort of pet project for this offseason where he's going to focus on, at least um, in my opinion, bringing sort of this, um, you know, new bullpen, this new starting rotation of pitchers, where you might only see Brian Bellow and Chris Sale as returning pitchers next year in the starting rotation. Uh, because you could bring in two guys in free agency while also bringing in a trade candidate or someone from the minors. Now, the Red Sox have at least uh, their top five, seven Prospects are all infielders and outfielders. Um, so there is no pitching in their uh, rotation of uh, top prospects. But Alex Verdugo could get traded for a pitching prospect that gets bolted up the, the sort of line. Uh, they could trade Verdugo for a starting pitcher. They could trade Verdugo for a reliever. Um, there are countless opportunities that will present themselves. And Breslow, I think, is going to be in a good spot. Um and there is uh, the Red Sox having interest in a variety of players. Um, Ian Brown of MLB.com suggested um, on the ITM podcast that Boston front office prefers Montgomery to Schnell. Um, and they met with Montgomery's representatives already. Um, and it seems like that's the, the first piece that they're going to try and um, throw their hat into the ring on because... Um, yeah, that's, uh, important. Uh, it's also possible that they could look for a trade, uh, market for help. Um, but there are players like Corbin Burns and Shane Bieber who could be available. Um, and, uh, there could also be, uh, other pitchers, um, that, uh, make themselves available. Dylan Cease, uh, with the, uh, White Sox could be available. Um, I don't think they're going to make a trade for someone like a Tyler Glasnow because I don't think the Rays are going to trade within the AL East, but 
Um, you know, Corbin Burns, Shane Bieber, or Dylan Cease could be options. So you could, in theory, sign Jordan Montgomery. You could trade for Corbin Burns. You could have Brian Bellow. Uh, you can have Chris Sale. You can have one other pitcher. Let's just say Tanner Hook. You have Garrett Whitlock go to the bullpen. Maybe Nick Pavetta gets traded alongside Alex Verdugo. And maybe you get some minor league pitching for your uh, prospect uh, list. Maybe you get uh, an outfielder who's a right-handed bat. Maybe um, you get uh, a catcher who's better than um, you know Connor Wong and what they have. Um, so for me, I think it's um, you know very likely that they're going to do multiple things to bolster their pitching and their starting pitching. And maybe they don't worry as much about the outfield or the infield or anything involving the uh, hitting side of things because they focus more on their rotation, which um, would make sense. Um, great teams have great pitching, and uh, there is a bunch of different players that they have already. I think their roster is pretty set. Blake Snell was a Cy Young Award winner with uh, the National League, so he's got a good pedigree with him, which is, um, you know, obviously, uh, if they want to go for him, that's a good thing to look at. So the Red Sox uh, are obviously going to be starting things off uh, strong. They did that with one trade already, and there's more, I'm sure, that will come later on when uh, we get more into free agency. So I want to take a second now and look at the Patriots, and there's a little bit of information to talk about there. Thanks to the uh, efforts of Tommy DeVito and the New York Giants, they were able to fend off the Washington Commanders, winning their game, and thus moving the New England Patriots from the three seed in the draft to the two seed in the draft. So right now, they are slated for the number two pick. Right behind the Carolina Panthers who traded their pick to the Chicago Bears. So as a team, we're going to have a pretty good chance of getting one of Caleb Williams uh, or Drake May or um, Marvin Harrison Jr. And I think that's going to be great for us um, since we're in this spot. Now obviously, I feel like the uh, Giants uh, game next week is an important win. Uh, for the Giants um, that we have to lose to stay uh, with the advantage uh, and get that number two seed. At this point, there's no playoffs, there's no nothing, so you got to lose games. And I don't know if they can lose games on purpose or they just are a bad enough team that they lose just because they can't play well. But, you know, we need to keep the two seed, maybe get the one seed if possible. Now, what I want to talk about is not the two seed or even the three seed, But I want to talk about the potential for Bill Belichick to do what Bill Belichick loves to do, which is trading down. Bill Belichick is about as uh, noteworthy of a trade down general manager as you see in football. This guy will move picks all around. And for first round picks, he has moved a handful of them. So what I want to do is look at some of the past trades involving picks in this portion of the draft, the number two, number three, number four, you know, those top tier picks. Uh, We'll show you what we got from past uh, and look at how the value could be for the Patriots uh, moving forward in this year's draft and what they could at least think about getting. So 
The first one that we are going to discuss is the Redskins RG3 trade, which was 2012. So the Redskins got um, the second overall pick, uh, which was Robert Griffin III, and they traded away the sixth pick, a 2012 second round pick, uh, a 2013 first round, and 2014 first round selections. So they traded away one pick, received three first rounders in a second. So this was going from number two to number six in the draft. Um, and uh, so that was um, the trade right there. Um, then we have other trades uh, that happened, um, you know, at least um, involving uh, some picks here. So we have uh, 2001, the number one overall pick was the Falcons. They got that pick. They traded away. The number five pick, uh, 2001 third rounder, 2002 second rounder, um, and wide receiver Tim Dwight. Um, so they got a few picks out of this. Um, they only really got one first rounder, but uh, that was a trade way back in 2001. Then we have a trade from last year, which was uh, the third overall pick getting traded to the uh, Texans, and they sent number 12, number 33, a first-round pick in the 2024 draft to the Cardinals, and the Cardinals also gave Houston a pick at 105. So um, moving uh, around a little bit, obviously, that's what happened. Um, so uh, we have, um, you know, one uh, trade there, a few picks getting moved around, um, and I think, obviously, if you trade a first-round pick, you know, if you trade um, a second-round pick, uh, those hold more value. Also, it depends on how far you're dropping down um, in the draft. Uh, you know what I mean? And so uh, when it comes to um, some of the uh, other picks out there uh, and some uh, other pre-draft trades, the uh, biggest one last year was the Carolina-Chicago trade. So the Panthers uh, traded four draft picks and DJ Moore and sent them to the Bears for the number one overall pick. The Bears received Carolina's first round pick, which was number nine, a second rounder, number 61, the Panthers' first round pick in 2024, and their second round pick in 2025, along with Moore. So they got two firsts, two seconds, and a pretty solid wide receiver. So there was that, um, you know, trade uh, right there. Uh, and then we have... The uh, Trey uh, Trey Lance uh, situation. So Trey Lance was drafted by um, the uh, he was drafted by the 49ers. Um, he was drafted um, in 2021. He was the third overall pick, and San Francisco made a trade um, here. Um, so. Uh, we saw Miami traded a first-round selection third overall to San Francisco in exchange for a first-round selection 12th overall, 2022 first and third-round selections, and a 2023 first-round selection. Um, so, obviously, um, that was uh, something that happened. There was a bunch of different things that happened there. Then we saw the Philadelphia, uh, they traded with Miami. Um, so, Philadelphia traded its first and fifth-round selections uh, to Miami exchange for first and fourth round selections, 12th and 123rd overall, and a 2022 first round uh, selection. Um, so another first round selection there. Um, 
went to Philly, so they got two firsts uh, for Miami's chance to move up uh, in that draft. So um, if you see uh, different trades that take place, uh, the value is usually maybe uh, two or three first-round picks or two first-round picks and some seconds um, if if that's, um, you know, more likely. Um, and there have been countless uh, different trades that have just happened in the top of the draft, and, you know, some of them have worked out, some of them have not. Um, the Indianapolis Colts um, made a trade in 2018 draft, which was the Colts uh, traded a first-round selection, third overall to the Jets in exchange for a Jets first-round selection, sixth, two second-round picks, and a second-round uh, selection in 2019. So there was that move. And then Houston, in the same draft, traded uh, its first-round selection, fourth overall, and first-round selection in 2017, 25th overall to Cleveland in exchange for Cleveland's first-round selection in 2017, 12th overall with the trade um, they drafted um, Deshaun Watson. Um, so there was some uh, two-firsts getting moved there. Um, so that was uh, something. Um that was, uh, you know, another trade. So just, you know, going through a couple of these moves. Uh, we also saw in uh, 20, I believe it was 2017, Mitchell Trubisky. Um, they traded uh, from two to three, and um, they traded a bunch of other picks to go along with it. Um, and then we saw the Rams in Tennessee. Um where uh, this deal was the Rams traded their first round uh, and third round selections, as well as their first two seconds and a third round selection in 2016 to Tennessee in exchange for a conditional seventh round selection, as well as Tennessee's first, fourth, and sixth round picks selections in 2016. Um, so Tennessee got the fifth pick um, out of that. Um, so that was another higher, uh, you know, top-ish, top five trade. Um, that took place. Um, and then we see this uh, Carson Wentz trade, which was um, 2016, Cleveland uh, and the Eagles. Cleveland traded their second and a conditional fifth. Uh, and uh, Philadelphia, in exchange for Philadelphia's first and third round and fourth round selections in, in this draft, 877 and 100, as well as Philadelphia's first round selection in 2017. In a second round selection in 2018. So, all of that being said, uh, if we are looking at the draft and specifically where the Patriots, what we could expect um, from a a draft and what they could get um, in terms of uh, picks um, in this, uh, just kind of uh, my own thoughts. Um, Let's look at some teams and see what the value could be. So, I assume that they're not going to do any sort of trades with, I guess, teams close enough to two or three. But um, you could potentially see uh, some trades as you get lower down the board. So, for example, we could see the uh, Green Bay Packers want to move up to number two overall to draft themselves Marvin Harrison Jr. Maybe they feel like Jordan loves their quarterback. Maybe they want to go for Marvin Harrison Jr. And 
they could make a trade. So from two to six, my guess is the Patriots could get second round pick this year, pick number six, and a first round pick next year from Green Bay. And that could be enough to get this done. Now uh, we have the LA Rams who are at number seven. They could potentially want to trade up to get one of the quarterbacks because maybe Matthew Stafford is older and they want to move on. So um, they could trade the seventh overall pick and potentially a future first round pick as well and maybe um, another uh, future first round pick. So three first round picks to move up and maybe the Patriots trade a future third round pick along with number two um, to go to the Rams, uh, kind of even things out. Now, Atlanta Falcons are at number nine on the board, and uh, if the Atlanta Falcons want to trade up for a quarterback, what we could see is the New England Patriots making a trade in which they would be receiving um, a first-round pick, number nine overall. They could receive a second-round pick this year, a future first, uh, and you could do something similar to what the um, the Bears did, and maybe the player in this deal is Kyle Pitts, because Patriots could use a tight end, so maybe Kyle Pitts comes to New England, um, they also get um, some draft picks, um, and that's a potential trade that could take place. Um, then we see uh, Washington at number 10, which I don't know if they would ever trade up this high, but you know, I guess you uh, could never say never. Um, maybe the Patriots get... Uh, you know, Terry McLaurin, and they get a future first along with number 10. Second round pick this year, maybe another future first or another future second. Um, that could be a good deal. Uh, a trade down. I don't know how far they would go down. I think it all depends on, um, you know, what the value is and what they're looking for. Uh, the lowest I could see them going is um, 13. So they could make a trade. 13 right now. Um, is the Broncos, but that could change. Um, so the Broncos, if they're done with Russell Wilson, maybe they want to make a trade. So we could do something with a first-round pick, a future first-round pick, maybe uh, a second-round pick this year. We get uh, something like uh, Corlin Sutton uh, to come in. Uh, maybe we get uh, Patrick Sertan, um, and we could move from 2 to 13. So, you know, if we decided to do a first this year, maybe a second this year, a first next year, and then uh, two players might be a good deal, um, you know. And I think uh, you could make this uh, trade work. Um, so if they want to do a trade down, um, that is obviously uh, a pretty good um, situation. Now, I want to finish things off with the Boston Celtics and specifically taking a look at uh, what I think their X factor is and how it's changed from last year. So Boston Celtics are 10 and two and the two losses they've accumulated this season have come at the hands of Derek White being out because uh, of the birth of his child. So he missed some games um, and they ended up losing two games. Now Derek White is the Celtics X factor. The Celtics are a significantly better team with Derek White. And to be honest, one of the greatest things that the Celtics did is getting rid of Marcus Smart because it meant that they could go out there with Derek White and he would get more playing time and he would be able to take the reins on this situation. And I think the Celtics are just an overall better team. He's a good ball handler. He's a good passer. Uh, he's a better shooter than Marcus Smart was. He's 
uh, a great score. Um, and I think there is a good chemistry between Jason Tatum and Derek White and Jalen Brown and him. And now Porzingis is coming in here. And I think, you know, he fits this roster so well. And I think he's improved every single year. And the way he plays, he could be an all-star. Um, he is just that good. And it's one of those things where uh, sometimes you got to make tough moves. And sometimes uh, the end result is actually uh, a good one. And so we got Porzingis from Marcus Smart. And Derek White has stepped up uh, in such a big way. And he is by far and away one of my favorite uh, Celtics players. Uh, just the way that he plays. Um, you know, it's it's crazy. Uh, how good he is, and, uh, you know, it's hard to, to guard him, and, you know, he's a very good player, um, and uh, he's got this toughness to him that uh, you don't really see because he's a very quiet player, but he's someone that can score you, like, 28 points in a game, and it wouldn't even, like, it wouldn't even uh, phase anyone because he's that good. Um, he is just a great shooter and just a great scorer, and, he was great in the playoffs last year for us and has done so much uh, to help this team this year. And, you know, this backcourt now with Drew Holiday and Derek White, honestly, is the best backcourt in basketball. And you you honestly don't think two defensive-minded guards are going to be making up this great backcourt because you have such dominant, you know, backcourts that are scorers and you have Stephen Clay and, you know, I think... Um, you know, the backcourt of Paul George and, you know, James Harden and now uh, with the Clippers. And I just feel like, you know, the offense might not be there all the time, although they can score, but their defense is just off the charts. And I think we upgraded significantly. And I don't even know if Derek White and Marcus Smart were bad playing together. I also don't know if they were at their peaks playing together. So I think, you know, Drew Holiday comes in here and I think he's such a great fit, and uh, I think Derek White just works so well in that tandem, and he's just playing so great and has just kind of captivated these fans. As much as Marcus Smart did for the Celtics, I also feel like now Derek White is taking his place, and the memory of Marcus Smart might still be here in a lot of ways, but Derek White is imprinting himself here and giving himself such a, a chance to succeed if we can, you know, make the playoffs and win, you know, it'll be a big part because of Derek White and his success. So Derek White is by far and away one of my favorite Celtics players um, right now. And he is, to me, a big X factor as to why this team has been so successful. Um, and uh, I really just hope he keeps it up. And I really hope he makes an all-star team because we have five guys in the starting lineup who have either been all-stars and in Derek's White, Derek White's case, he hasn't been, but he has the potential to be one this year.